Uh, on today's episode of An Echo of Glory, we ditch the idea of a season review because we're going to look forward as Ange Postacoglu is appointed and we'll talk a little bit about Harry Kane. Welcome to An Echo of Glory, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast, finally coming on air with a permanent manager. Uh, we say good day to Gary Diamond and good day to Jake Robson. Good day to you. Good day to you too. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. About an hour ago, it's broken. We've got a manager. Finally. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's really exciting, great news. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be hugely positive about with this. I'm just glad they've got it done early earlier this time than last time now we can now we can firstly we can relax yeah. and then they can crack on with uh, doing what they've got to do yeah okay look uh, club news obviously the main club news is is Postacoglu but a little bit uh, on the under 20 World Cup Dane Scarlett and Alfie Devine went they're now home uh, lost 2-1 to Italy in the round of 16 Devine scored but didn't get any further uh, on the plane home but a good experience for both of them you'd think maybe we'd see them this season but with Fewer games, you never know, but but a good experience. Uh, well, it's probably good that they're back earlier than they can start. Well, no, seriously, because you know, you with a new manager comes yeah. in, you don't you don't want to be you don't want to be missing the first you know the first. Actually, couple of Burnley days. are in training already. Well, they're back in training That's yesterday. Mad, absolutely mad. I've never seen anything like that. Right. I guess they finished. Uh, they finished well, like, over a month, about a month ago. Yeah, but you've still season. got like an eight-week lead time into the new season. I mean, at what point are the players just going to? Start to switch off a little bit. Uh, anyway, hopefully before it starts. Listen, we'll all yeah. be we'll all be laughing when they finish it. Blah blah. I'm crying. Anyway, look, the club news. Didn't we want company at some point? Well, wasn't he coming to Tottenham? Well, actually, so there's a stat about that. Uh, Funny that. Yeah. Funny that you might have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Postacoglu, the ninth different One Nation wonder in the Premier ah. League. So he's the first Australian. Uh, company is the first Belgian, Belgium. believe it or not to manage in the Premier League. Spurs have had two connections to that list. Can you name them? Quiet silence. Where was Christian Gross from? Switzerland. The yeah. only Swiss manager in the Premier right. League. Confession. Yeah. <laughs> Saw your Twitter. Okay, good. Somebody <laughs> reads my Twitter. So what's, the, so what's the other answer then? It's Poirier. All right, good. Okay. Uh, at, at John O'Blaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's asking. Uh, another stat on that. Uh, how do you feel about this? Uh, Wordsmiths. The fifth Tottenham manager, permanent Tottenham manager in a row, whose surname ends in a vowel. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. Well, whoa ends in an H. That's good. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. I'm just, just trying to think of others that we've had. We've had Hoddle. Yeah. But not, not in no, a row. not in a row. I'm just thinking oh, of others that ended oh, in a vowel. in general. So, yeah, Hoddle. I can't really think of it. Well, I do, not ending in a vowel, but I do like Postacoglu being called Aussie Ardiles. Ah, yeah, uh, I've seen that one as well. Yeah. Aussie Ardiles. Um, I'll take that. So Aussie going to Wembley this season. Aussie going to, hopefully, Aussie going to Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, to, to dare is to didgeridoo. All the stuff's coming out. Yeah, yeah, they're loving it. Right, look, let's go straight in then. Postacoglu, it's kind of got talked about a little bit in the last two weeks. Uh, Nagelsmann and a bit of Lewis Enrique. But Postacoglu was always sort of simmering underneath. In the last five, six days, it really came out waiting for that cup final, I assume. And now, today, it's, it's confirmed. Thoughts, Gary? The thing, the thing that, that I'm most pleased about is something that Jake touched on already. And for me, one of the most important things about this management search was that within two weeks of the season ending, before the window opened, we had this nailed and we had it done. That was crucial. 
Um, so first and foremost, I'm really pleased that we've shown that. I'm going to use the word decisiveness, even though people may say it took however many days it took and equaled the, the search when we ended up appointing Nuno. I think this was a little bit different. I think there were uh, 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 there were other factors around it. But I am pleased that it feels as, as though there has been a decisiveness. It feels as though we're never going to know the inside story. It almost feels like Nagelsmann became a little bit opportunistic after what happened at Munich. But I... I, I it, it feels Do you not think there was a fear that Nagelsmann became another uh, Mourinho, another Conte? I, I think Nagelsmann came into the conversation purely because he was available, right? Uh, I, I think we know that Poch was never a consideration. Um, Nagelsmann came into came into view because it, it f he was let go from from Munich and, and a manager of that caliber and, and that sort of prestige on the market you have to speak with. But I do think you know people wonder, oh, was this first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice? Um, Aside from the fact that I've seen an interview with with Postecoglou when he got an, uh, appointed at Celtic, and and he said I couldn't care less if I was sixth choice, I'm here now. This feels as though with Scott Munn coming in, I think it would be naive for anybody to suggest that he wasn't one of the names at the very very top. And it feels as though Spurs have gone out and got who they wanted. So it sounds like a plan which we've all been asking. And, for. and, and when we go back to a lot of the things that we've been discussing on this pod. One of them has been the need, and 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 you know when you listen to Mason and and the thing and Kane talking about the disconnect between the club, Mason talking about needing to get back to what we believe in. It it feels as though this guy brings all of those facets. He will connect to the fans. He will get us playing a style of football that uh, Levy said in his uh, program notes on on the last day of the season that we're going to come back and see football that, that we all enjoy. Mm. So it does feel as though this guy was perhaps much higher up the list than we had ever sort of perhaps credited or realised. Um, and, and I'm excited about the appointment because I think he will... The question is going to be, what does good look like here? Um, what is What does success look like for Postagoglu? And... For me, if he puts in place the foundations of how Tottenham play over the next 10, 15 years and becomes the godfather of the next iteration of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club in the way that Martin Yole did, because I, I credit Martin Yole hugely mm -hmm. for being the first iteration yeah. of modern-day Tottenham yeah. up until the point of Mourinho, um, that really, for me, is his job. And, and if he does that, then he will be a huge success, and I think we're going to love what happens with Spurs over the next couple of years. Jake, you on the Ange train? Oh, I'm, I'm driving that Ange train. <laughs> Minus the hat, I am at the front pulling that pulling that whistle, <laughs> that horn or whatever it's called. I'm, I'm all aboard it. I have to say, I'm actually more aboard it uh, in the last 24 hours than, than I was mm. before. Because I'd said to, when anybody said to me, who do you want as the next hot manager? I said, put the list in front of me. They're all much of a muchness. They'll all be good. I think they'll be successful. I'll take any of them. Actually, now I've had a look at it and see his achievements and what he's done in, in the last, I don't know, what is it, five, six, seven years in Japan, obviously Celtic, what he did in the Australia, the Australian national team. I actually think he's achieved, I think he's achieved more than Nagelsmann has achieved in his career. Nagelsmann only won at Bayern and Luis Enrique only won at Barcelona, the two best clubs in their leagues with lots of money. It's really interesting you say that because there's a lot of what I've, I'll call it, or maybe others call it as well, CV snobbery. Ugh. You look at Postacoglu's CV and most people, may as well go, I've not heard of them. 
doesn't make doesn't mean he's not a good manager. No, it's just it's a difficult path to come from Asia into the Premier League. Absolutely, and also what he's done is especially well. He did it with Australia definitely, and he did it in uh, Japan, and he sort of did it at Celtic as well. He has taken a team or teams that were not at the top and taken them to the top. Celtic were way off the pace when he came in behind Rangers. He's now made them back into the winning machine that they were before. The same that he did uh, in the J League. And he, when he won the Asia Cup with Australia, they, they, you know, Australia are a good side, a reasonably good side, but they're not favourites to win any tournament that they go into or any more or less any match that they go into, I wouldn't yeah. have thought. I think that, that, that there's another facet to that, and, and, and that is that, um, you know, he... he you look at the likes of Nagelsmann or Enrique and would we have had confidence that these guys would be here in 18 months, 24 months? No. I don't think we necessarily would. No. I think so long as there is regular progression and the fans are buying into what is going on on the pitch and the players are buying into it. This guy has signed a four-year contract, which I think is a big statement and it's the right thing. We have spoken about the need for a project. This is clearly that. He's at a stage in his career, he's not going to get a bigger job than this. He is not going to look to jump ship. He is here to really build this. And I think that is really, really important. And he's shown that he can build things before. He's done it at other clubs, uh, whatever the level that you think he may have done it at. He has demonstrated that he he's able to come into uh, catastrophe or, or whatever and, and turn it around. Had Nagelsmann or Enrique or another manager come in, would they have quickly gone, Nah, bollocks to this. <laughs> I, I, I'm off. We've seen it already, right? Yeah, I've, so, already, I've already seen to some some fans saying, "Oh, four four years. That'll be a bigger payoff when he gets fired." It's like you just you're not just going to please everyone. We saw the two year deal that Conte had. We saw the problem with that. We got to the midway through the the second year, and it was clear that he wasn't going to stay. The players knew he wasn't going to stay, and it's just a, it's an absolute disaster when you get to that stage. So I think you're absolutely spot on. Four years back him, he backs us. Well, hey, we're right, going to win the league. Great to get both of your thoughts on it, as always. But we're going to... Don't take it from us. No, don't take it from us. Take it from someone who's been around uh, Postacoglu for, for many years. Uh, f uh, broadcaster and journalist, football reporter in Australia, Dan Garb, is going to talk to us now. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Really, really great to have you on. Uh, look, we've all done our research this week. We've all watched the videos, read the articles on Postacoglu. You're someone that knows him extremely well. You've been inside Socceroos training camp, Socceroos squads at major tournaments. You've interviewed him a number of times. So just give us an insight, if you will, into into the man that Postacoglu is. What can we what can we expect when he takes charge? He's incredibly driven and focused. I mean, he is obsessive about football, obsessive about his teams and how he wants them to play. That is first and foremost. Um, as a man on the field, he's he connects with his players, but he always keeps a distance. That was something that was always really interesting. There, there are a few people he lets into his inner circle, maybe a, a select few friends and his family, and that's it. Even someone as a, a journalist who would travel with the Socceroos and be around the team all the time, he'd always keep you at arm's length. I mean, he did it with his players. He never really connects with them on a personal level. Obviously, on a footballing level, he does. He knows when to put an arm around. He knows when to shout. But he always keeps them at arm's length so he can make those crucial decisions, if you like, and maintain that aura. And that's something that Ange Postacoglu has in abundance, is an aura about him where the players have a healthy fear, I think, of the manager. That was always the word we got um, from Socceroos players and the like. 
In terms of how he'll connect with the fans and speak in the media, I mean, you've probably all seen it now from his time at Celtic because he's been so close to to the Premier League over there. I mean, he's brilliant with the press. He knows what to say, what buttons to push. If he gets a question he doesn't like, he'll bite back. He's not afraid to do that. He'll give it back to the media. But I think the best thing for for Spurs right now is that he's a, a manager who understands what football clubs mean to people what they mean to supporters and watching Spurs from a distance over the last few years, it feels like your managers have maybe lost that perspective. You look at a Mourinho and a Conte and maybe they thought they were bigger than the club. Um, Perhaps they've lost touch on what a club means to the fan who pays their hard earned and goes to support on the weekend. And they let their egos run wild behind the scenes and everything imploded. And will, I think, bring everyone together. He'll bring supporters together. His perspective on what a football club means to a supporter from his experiences here in Australia, coming here as as a Greek immigrant and having a club like South Melbourne, which was for the Greek immigrants, integrating him and his family into Australian society when they couldn't speak a world of English. He knows it's more than just a team on the pitch trying to win a game. He knows it's way more than that. And uh, that is what he's about as a manager as well. And I think that will really resonate with the Spurs fans and bring the club together. From there, of course, he's got to get the results on the pitch, but uh, it certainly helps when you get that first bit right. Dan, this feels for Ange like uh, quite possibly the biggest challenge of his career, particularly with where Tottenham are at the minute. I love everything I read about him and hear about him. A concern, if I was to voice one, is that structurally, I understand he's never worked with a director of football, I feel in this role he will need a director of football. He's got obviously a very good scouting network in in the Far East, but he's going to need a global scouting network and it's just too big and too much for him to take on. How will he work in the Tottenham structure if somebody comes in above him? How do you think that will look? He will have assessed everything first and foremost. Ange is meticulous with his detail. Like he knows what club Tottenham is. He knows where they've been. He'll understand every single element of the frustrations, the history, what's worked for them in the past, what hasn't. And he would have assessed all of that with Daniel Levy, I think, and the Spurs executives before signing on. That doesn't guarantee that problems don't arise, of course. Look, having Scott Munn there, um, the Australian, I guess helps in a way. I I know his role's a little bit different, but you'd think there would be uh, a level of control that Andrew would be allowed to have as a result of that. I feel like they would have had some impact on the deal. In terms of a director of football, look, it can work in certain clubs. We know that. And I think Andrew will be respectful, but ultimately he'll be the man who wants to make the decisions. He will decide who who comes into his football club, who's signed, who's not. And you'll hope the director of football can recommend options that he agrees with and, and make those deals happen. I think he's like every other manager. Ultimately, the, the buck will stop with him. Um, But hopefully they can work together. He is someone who can work with other people. I don't think he's a dictator so much, but ultimately he'll have the final word if he feels uh, he needs to. But I think that can certainly work. But he's very headstrong as well. And all these managers have to be, of course. Um, But he'll he'll know when to put his foot down and and have the final word and when to maybe accept advice and, and work in a collaborative approach. Dan, I just wondered, from the outside, it looks like he, he's basically had success in every job that he's had. He's obviously won in Japan, he got Australia to the uh, World Cup, and then, and then at Celtic. It, it looks from the outside like a very kind of you know, upward curve. Ha- has he had any adversity? Has things gone wrong for him? Has he sort of faced the other side of it? 
Yeah, he has once in his career in a massive way. And it actually shapes the manager and the person that he is now. So without giving too much of a history lesson, he stepped into a role at South Melbourne, which is a very big club in Australia at the time, in the old National Soccer League, which is now known as the A-League. Took over at the age of 30, won titles there, then took a job with the, the young Socceroos, one of our youth national teams. Things started to fall apart a bit. He did a very controversial TV interview where he was basically hounded out of the job, told to be to resign. It's a famous interview. It's on YouTube. You should watch it from years gone by. And that basically um, sidelined him, if you like, in a managerial sense. He was almost discarded as a, a managerial option in Australia to the point where yeah, he had to go to Greece for a little bit. He had to pick up any little job he could get. At one stage, he was coaching kids in a park in Melbourne just to maintain his skills. No A-League club wanted him. Then Brisbane gave him a chance in 2009 um, out of nowhere, basically. They were in a desperate state. Someone recommended and just said, all right, we'll give you a crack. And the rest is history. Turned them into a force, got the Socceroos job, won the Asian Cup, got them to the World Cup. Um, but he felt like forces were conspiring against him in Australia. So he said, I'm not going to let my career be sidelined by outside forces anymore like it was with that interview. Resigned, took the job in Japan, dominated there, got the job in Celtic, dominated there when they were 25 points behind coming into the season in a shambolic state, much like Spurs are now. And it has been that upward trajectory. But he's become so headstrong since uh, he went through that setback so many years ago and decided, I'm going to forge my own path and not let anyone um, deter from that. And if they do, well, I'll go somewhere else if I feel as if someone's trying to knock me off the path that I want to be on. So, yeah, he has had that one big setback and it shaped him and he has not missed a beat since then. That, that, that's a really interesting point because something that Spurs fans on, on Twitter and social media have been concerned about is, is this a yes man for Daniel Levy? But based on what you've just said there, absolutely not. No, no chance. He's worked too hard mm. to say yes to something he doesn't agree with. Like, just think about how difficult it is for someone from Australia who doesn't have a big playing background to make it to this stage. Like if it was a Harry Kuehl or Mark Viduka or Tim Cahill that all of a sudden had coaching quality, Mark Schwarzer, they'd get the opportunity because they have the brand in Europe. For him to get to this stage, he has had to work so ridiculously hard and go through so much and take so many risks and have to prove himself over and above to get that Celtic chance initially um, and then run with that. He's not going to agree to something that he doesn't feel is going to be the best for the team and therefore him. So, no, he is the furthest thing from a yes man. Uh, Dan, on that, you said to, uh, in, a, in a group we're in, a WhatsApp group we're in, you said nearly two years ago, uh, 15th of December 2021, Postacoglu will manage Tottenham one day. Uh, you always <laughs> had faith in him. Just on that, though, why has it taken so long for an Australian to come into the, into the Premier League? And also, do you think now this will open the door or he's is he a special case? He is a special case, but it definitely will open the door. And it's not just for Australians. I think it's for managers around the world from outside uh, Europe and, let's say, South America, the traditional football heartlands. I mean, there are plenty out there who understand the game really well. But Andrew said it for years, you know, that the passport is the biggest inhibitor. You know, you, where are you from? No, well, you don't know the game like we do and we're not going to give you a chance. And English football, as we know, is very insular. And you've seen it all through the leagues. It's the same names being rotated. It's very risk averse. Um, it, it, you know, Ange had to go through the back door, if you like, to get it to Celtic, to get to Celtic through Japan. And they were connected with the City Football Group and they recommended him strongly and, and so on. It's very difficult. So I've seen Spurs fans saying, 
oh, but he's 57. Yeah, that's because it takes him 15 years longer to get here than someone from England, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just straightforward in that sense. But uh, yeah, I did say a couple of years ago that he'd manage in the Premier League. That I was sure about once he got the Celtic job. Tottenham, perhaps not the club I would have picked straight away. But, you know, as Andrew's stock started to rise more and more and Spurs started to dip more and more towards the end of uh, last season, they sort of met up and it seemed like a viable option for both. And I'm delighted that Spurs have have made the move and taken a little bit of a risk, but I think a shrewd one. Because I think it can work out for both. There's no guarantees. We all know Spurs has got is- have got issues, and it's a big test for Ange. But I think it's one that uh, has a lot of upside and, and wonderful potential. And just finally, Australia, great sporting nation. Hopefully not so great this summer in the Ashes. But how's it been received over there? Uh, it's enormous. Biggest sporting story in the country. Ange is one of the biggest sporting names in the country and has been for a while. Um, we've just been utterly amazed at what he's been able to do. He's a very um, mysterious figure as well at times, like the way in which he left the Socceroos was uh, something that's been discussed for years in Australian sports. So there's a lot of intrigue around Ange and everything that he does and and his decisions. But since he he moved to Celtic, every single result has been analysed, you know, comprehensively. So you are going to have a massive supporter base here in Australia next season. And that's even from someone like me, who's a Liverpool fan and and supporters of other clubs. You know, we will all be watching Tottenham and hoping they do well, apart from when maybe they come up against our teams. That is going to be a byproduct of this in a very big way. And yep, it's back page news. It's the first news on every sport bulletin and it's dominating the country. So when Spurs come here, um, of course, for part of their preseason tour, it'll go to another level again. And and then you're going to have a lot of Australians staying up to all hours of the night to watch Ange on the touchline, hopefully leading uh, your side to a, a much better season. And yeah, I think there's every chance that you can do that. It, it, it will take a little bit of time. Ange's teams usually take a couple of months to fully bet in. But the fact that he's getting in start of preseason should help that. Obviously, the squad needs an overhaul. We know that. And there's things up in the air with Harry Kane and what he'll do. But once he gets things settled in terms of his squad and the players have the courage to carry out what he does... I think it'll start to move in an, in an upwards trajectory and, and you'll be pretty happy over there at Spurs that's uh, the manager you've got. Uh, I wasn't going to mention your Liverpool persuasion, uh, but look, it was great to get you on, Dan. Your insight has been fantastic. Hopefully, Ange continues on that forward trajectory, the upward trajectory that you've talked about. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon, maybe before we take on the Reds uh, in the Premier League season. Have you got the Aussie flags ready to go at the new stadium? Yeah, there'll be a lot of that. Corkscrew hats, Have Aussie flags. Have got the flags, hats and the blow-up kangaroos yeah, and all that? That'll, be, that'll all be there. Yeah, there we I, go. I wanted to have a Foster's there here it this is. morning, but they said no. Fantastic. The Celtic fans got right behind that stuff. So um, no doubt Spurs fans will as well if the, if the results start in the way in which we all hope they do. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, Dan. Brilliant to talk to you. Great stuff. Thanks, Thank guys. you very Cheers. much. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Look, great to get Dan's thoughts uh, on that. Never mind the train, I'm on the helicopter, the boat, the limo, (laughs) the fleet, the whole lot. Uh, It's really interesting to talk to Dan about um, Postacoglu's mentality, the man that he is, because we've been so disappointed by the men that Mourinho and Conte are. I'm not going to really slight their personalities. (laughs) No, but we've seen... What are they like as men? Yeah, but we've just seen that it just hasn't worked. And whatever they've come out and said as royal players, royal fans, it does sound like Postacoglu won't do that. And he'll bring it all together, which we really, really, really need. It kind of feels like he meets the worlds of a bit old school, but also a modern as well. He, 
it sounds like he gets the mentality of the modern day player because I think that's 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 really important. We've sort of seen we've we've heard a lot of maybe uh, someone like a Mourinho. You know, he is a bit you know from yesterday yesterday's man, mm. and we we hear a lot about players now. You know, social media. Uh, it, you know, eat, eat, what's the word? Gaming, all that kind of stuff. Players are different kind of beasts and animals as they were 10, 15 years ago. And it feels like Postacoglu is kind of on board with that, while at the same time, having that kind of boundary, setting those boundaries, you know, he's not going to be the player's mates, but at the same time, he will understand what makes them tick and get inside their heads. Gary, you, sorry, go on. No, no, and, 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 you know, I'm here for it. Gary, you, Jake, made that point as well, and you said earlier off there, you'd read that, he was on a flight with a with a with a player, and he didn't talk to him. God picked up on that. He's not necessarily going to be your mate. I actually thought he looks like someone who's going to be their mate and be the potch hugger. Maybe he's not that guy. I, I, this is something where I don't know if if it's a positive or a negative. I, I think the players had a very very close relationship with Potch. I think that was widely reported, and it's one of the reasons I think I said last week I didn't feel it was right for Pochettino to come back to the club whilst he had players there because it would influence and uh, his thoughts and decisions and so on. At the same time, I do wonder if managers these days do need to know what is going on a bit more in a player's life and have that personal touch and, and, and relationship. So I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. What, what is for sure is the players that I have heard speak about, Postogoglu really buy into him, really buy into his footballing uh, philosophies and his training and his coaching and him as a manager and they want to follow him and it appears as though they would run through brick walls for him. And I guess that's the most important part. Um, it, it does sound like he does bring a bit of all facets, but at the end of the day, he's going to be ruthless and he's going to do it his own way and he's not going to let anybody stand in his way and that's what really comes through and as much as we want somebody to, to drive the team on the pitch at Tottenham by God do we need somebody that is ruthless and will get out players that are not going to do it for him that has been one of the biggest criticisms of this club for a long time I think, I think the squad's there I wouldn't call it broken but it certainly needs a bit of tweaking I think it does but I think we've also seen in football and in other sports actually how sometimes it's just the change of manager or change of the person at the top that can make a match. Look at the England cricket team. It's more or less the same team that was getting pummeled for 18 tests in a it's row. A mentality it now. It's just a mentality. You know, it is the same player. So I'm, I'm not saying that we don't need to strengthen in some areas, but some of this talk that, oh, you know, we need a, a massive overhaul. I'm not, I'm not sure about that because we've seen, you know, who would have had Kyle Walker down as a 60 million pound defender that was that Pep Guardiola was going to then turn into the bet you know I just didn't ha nobody saw that coming Pochettino comes in and and basically did that on his own yeah, so it's, it's about time we had a manager to improve players again and that can happen and also the just the change the change of philosophy I and mean, he's clearly going to bring a kind of different view and a different outlook on things we may start you know suddenly Clement Longley might be a, a different kind of play. Do you know Not what I mean? Sure. Though it's, it's it, some players that have the raw materials there, perhaps you know, a Sessignon or someone like that. Who's to say that Son won't, won't find his mojo again? I think I think there's. I don't think we. I, I can't imagine we're going to see loads of players leaving. There's obviously one or two that probably need to go. It's a criticism. I think when when I went on a bit of a Conte rant a couple of weeks ago, one of the criticisms was I didn't feel as though Conte was coaching to the strengths of this squad, mm. um, and I feel the strengths of this squad are front foot football much more so than, than defensive football um, and I think somebody like Postogoglu will really really benefit the likes of Kulisevsky should we buy him and I think it would be a terrible mistake if we don't 
who wants to be playing 30 yards from goal, facing goal, one-on-one with his fullback. And we know that the way Postacocli plays, he stretches the pitch and he gets his wingers one-on-one with fullbacks. And those are the areas where, for me, somebody like Kulisewski tramples all over, then gets the byline, gets his crosses in and, and, and is lethal. But I think the other area of our squad, and which we know all the players that need to go, we could list them, we don't need to do that. But but what will be good is that I think he will bring out the very best of, of what is there already. Um, and I think we'll see, I, I think somebody like Jed Spence could have a huge part to play. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be so, well, he's a club signing, I'm not playing him. No, and, 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 that's, the, and that's the other point that, that I wanted to make was, He's going to work with what he's got rather than bitch and moan about what he doesn't have. I can't do this job because you haven't signed Guardiola and Bastoni. <laughs> you know, and, and it comes back to the point that I was trying to say about Conte is, is why am I paying you 15 million a year if all you're going to do is moan about the fact you can't do your job unless you've got the very best tools? I'd rather pay somebody like Postacocli, whatever we're going to be paying him, who will actually coach and get the best from what he's got available to him. And, I, and I'd rather watch that as well. I read a quote from him where he says, I love the joy that goals bring. And you compare that to the quote that Conte uh, gave, which was, Tottenham fans have to suffer. We don't want to suffer. Well, I mean, look, why should any fan suffer? But we're Tottenham Hotspur. We don't, we don't suffer. Well, we have been suffering, but we shouldn't be told we need to suffer to make it work. Well, he scores a lot of goals. He scored... This season, I think he's the most goals. Was it 112, 114, 114 the most they've scored? Uh, I think but it is, the it is a Scottish Premiership. But as I've been saying on social media, it's the yes, it's e- easy to win the league in Scotland. You've got one team to beat. But it's the way you play. They've had Scott Brown plodding around midfield for many years. They want the best team to watch. They've been really good to watch. So it's about the way they play. Yeah, but also, you know, there's a reason why a team hasn't scored 114 goals since the 50s or the 60s or whenever it is, because it's not, you can't, you can win, but I mean, there's a way of, as you said, there's a way of winning. And this is the other thing that I don't understand. People are saying, oh yeah, well, you know, anyone can win the J League. But the fact of the matter is... I've never heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone can win in Scotland, but the the fact of the matter is, oh, you know, the, the quality's not as high, but then the players that he's dealing with aren't as high quality it's all completely relative so i think it's just lazy for people to say say stuff like that uh right listen i've fobbed off your opinions on uh on postacoglu earlier to dan garb we're now going to talk to a celtic fan who we've got to be a little bit gentle they've just lost possibly the best manager they've ever had or one of them uh and that is james daly from the hubble breakdown podcast James, thanks so much for joining us. Look, uh, hot off the press about half an hour ago, uh, confirmed that Ange's left Celtic, sorry about that, uh, to take over at Tottenham. But I just want to get your thoughts. He's coming into a Tottenham team pretty much on its knees. You know, eighth in the Premier League may not sound bad, but it really was a poor season. I, I just want to get a comparison, really. When he took over at Celtic, 25 points behind Rangers uh, the season before he took over. What did he do to turn it around in just two years? I think the most important thing he did um, was repair what was a fractured support. And um, he's, he's really a cult of personality. He's an, ex- uh, he's a very talented football manager, but he's also just a uh, intelligent, talented individual. Uh, so I think his emotional intelligence, or as I say, EQ is very high. Uh, so he, he came in, so I, 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 as an outsider, people wouldn't appreciate probably the 
complete disaster that the 2021 COVID season was for Celtic. Um, you know, that, that was uh, built up over literally years as the 10 in a row season, which in Glasgow is uh, par- was paramount with bragging rights over Rangers because both clubs had um, had nine in a row seasons uh, runs, uh, the Lisbon Lions, uh, and then uh, that, that era of Celtic and then uh, Rangers in the 90s. And so um, to, to lose that league by 25 points, it was just an epic debacle. Um, and, and how that transpired and, and the fracturing that took place amongst the support relative to the club. And what Ange did when he came in, and I, you know, a lot of what's going on in the press and seeing Spurs fans' reactions echoes <laughs> the couple of days after uh, the announcement came out two years ago for Celtic, because what had happened there was Eddie Howe had pre- basically been anointed as the um, the new manager that, that had been reported. It was happening. Uh, he had met with Dermot Desmond, who's the primary, you know, the uh, pl- pluralistic uh, shareholder. He's not a majority shareholder, but he effectively runs Celtic, the Irish billionaire. Um, so he had met with Howe and it was all kind of pipelined. And then that fell apart at the last minute. Um, so you know, this Australian dude that no one's ever heard of <laughs> was announced quickly after uh, that trauma took place as far as the how appointment collapsing. And, um, you know, it was kind of all the same reactions that I'm seeing with uh, with, with Spurs and what it, uh, Spurs supporters. And, and what he did is he just came in and got to work and handled the Scottish media, and, which can be, you know, quite a, a task itself. Um so yeah, just just a really talented guy, and and um, a- able to uh, rally people behind a kind of common cause, and I and I think that was probably above and beyond the football, the the you know the biggest thing that he did. James, I was just wondering. Well, we were just wondering when did it change then? Because obviously, you just said that nobody knew about him. The fans weren't that weren't that enamored by the appointment at Celtic. Some of the fans at Tottenham, I think, feel the same. Who's this Australian guy? Doesn't have any big league experience. This is what people are saying. It's not something I agree with. But he, he may not hit the ground running at Tottenham. It may take a couple of months. But at what point then did it turn around at Celtic? Because now he's a, he's a hero. He leaves a hero. Yeah, I'd, I'd say by the end of the summer transfer window, a couple of big signings uh, in the world of Celtic, you know, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers and uh, Jota, who's a product from Benfica, uh, they, they came in late in the window. Um, so there, there was definitely some uh, some initial pains. And, and that, again, that's the context. There are a lot of parallels, actually, ironically, between, I, I think, um, between his his arrival at Celtic and what and I'm not a Spurs expert but from what I can ascertain the the state that Spurs are in at the moment um there were a lot of parallels I mean Celtic's squad was in absolute shambles when um Roger uh yeah Rogers Freudian slip uh, when, when Ange arrived and um you know some of the big talent were on the way out that was part of the the train wreck that was uh, the 2021 season is that you had some big name uh, young players that were basically told they weren't allowed to leave in the midst of a lockdown pandemic. Uh, and it was reported that they weren't real happy about that. And um, so they were all leaving. I know they, Christopher Ayers and uh, Otson Edward and, you know, some significant, again, within this, the, the, the world of, of Celtic football, you know, very talented young players. And the cupboard was relatively bare. I mean, if you look back at 
the the champions of qualifying tie against Mitchelland in July of you know weeks after his arrival. I mean, there was a youth center back that he played that had never played before that got significant minutes. The bench was laughable. I mean, so you know to to scrape through um, and actually beat Alkmaar, which is you know as you guys know a, a very well run. Uh, club and and even to get into the Europa League um, was actually an achievement, I think, because of how pathetic the, the state of the squad was in. And um, so it, it, it was like um, running around with with one's hair on fire, managing, you know, almost like a triage of the first two, two to three months. And by the time the window closed, things kind of settled down. Um, and, it, you know, there's he he, he runs a, a style of play that's um, intellectually taxing. So it, it, I don't think players just if they haven't played in the in that kind of um, style, it doesn't just, you know, happen. Uh, so there's also that adoption period. Uh, so you put all of those factors together. Um, by the time we kind of hit the group stage in the Europa League, and I think Real Betis away was our first fixture and we went in there lost four or three but it was like you know back and forth um you know really good performance and and that was kind of the launching pad then at that point forward uh so there was definitely some indigestion there but i i don't you know as much as you guys probably think spurs are a disaster i, I can <laughs> we do that by stuff. the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i don't I, no question yeah I, I get that sense um celtic were exponentially worse in in the summer of 2021 when Ange arrived. James, a lot of managers have been in Scotland and come to the Premier League with degrees of success. As a Celtic fan, and this still being very fresh with the announcement just half an hour ago or so, um, this feels different to a manager that's left Celtic in the past. And you've had the likes of Rogers highly successful. This feels different and it feels like a more significant loss to Celtic Football Club why is that I think it's because of um so th this is the dual-edged sword I think uh so I again as a relative outsider I probably have as an American living thousands of miles away so I'm engrossed in kind of the the, the club culture but I'm also not living eating and breathing Glasgow um so I, I have a bit of an outsider's perspective from that regard. I, I think part of what makes Ange so talented as a football manager is also also creates um, some cognitive dissonance once he departs, right? So he was very good at ingratiating himself with the club, with the culture, with buy-in. And I think a lot of people at Celtic, because Celtic's a very specific kind of family, you know, culture, um, uh, outsiders, some would call the cultish, <laughs> um, that, you know, when you have a leader that is beloved and, you know, by all accounts, and I think it was largely genuine, man, that I think that was the difference between him and Rogers. I think Rogers, um, you know, more of the badge kissing, cynical approach to, um, you know, persuading people to buy into the Rogers project. I, I, I take Ange as a more authentic version of, of a similar animal, meaning a highly ambitious, um, talented manager. I think he actually believed in what he was saying, whereas I think Rogers probably a little bit more cynical. Um, but I think he had a lot of the same kind of buy-in from a 
big part of the support. And now, you know, they thought he was around for a long period and that he bought into the club. And as Celtic supporters say, he, he got the club, right? He got the ethos. He had the, the immigrant story, the background with his family going to Australia. Like there was a lot of um, elements of Ange's profile that had, you know, the Celtic support really buy in and, and adore him, not only as a manager, but as a person. Uh, so I think him leaving in the way that he's left has shattered that <laughs> um, that anchoring of belovedness in a, in a way. Um, and I think the fact that he is, you know, a professional, ambitious 57-year-old manager whose clock is running out in, in his career that's taking this um, opportunity, I think, you know, a lot of people uh, had him as kind of up on a pedestal, I think an unfair pedestal. I did not. I, I I actually thought he was probably leaving the summer months ago, but um, so I think that's a, you know, kind of classic cognitive dissonance trigger where people, you know, start looking for uh, alternate explanations. So it triggers off, you know, conspiracy theories about the, the, um, uh, the board having, you know, screwed this up or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, that that's why it's so painful is that I think there was a, a, they placed him on a very high pedestal, not not only as a manager, but as a person. Um, and this kind of flies in the face of that uh, in, in what was, I would argue, unreasonable expectations. Uh, James, just finally, you talk about <clears throat> the style that he's played. You know, there's some snobbery over here. We look at Neil Lennon and Rogers and go, look, anyone, anyone can win. How dare you? What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Look, there's, there's, this, there's this belief that anyone can win the league with Celtic. It's rubbish. But we talk about that and we look at people go, oh, well, Neil, Neil Lennon walked to titles at, at Celtic. But you look, I'm just interested in the way that, that, that Ange has played at Celtic. You call your the podcast the spreadsheet shagging podcast. Without going too deep into the, 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 the analysis and the style, you look at the results lost 3-0 to Real Madrid. From what I've seen, from what I understand, it's all Real Madrid off the park for 25 minutes, just didn't score. Just if you could, a little bit on how we will probably see Tottenham play under Postacoglu. Yeah, I, I think uh, in, in, in the interest of brevity and, and being quick, uh, I think he's kind of a hybrid between how Pep's playing now and Bielsa. Um, and... You know, he, he came from the City Football Group. His last stop before Celtic was in Japan. Um, and, and you know, so he, he, he's taken what he was doing and, and kind of tweaked it um, to, to, to be pretty similar to what how, how Guardiola has Man City playing. And that that's obviously in a, you know, within the context of Scottish football, Celtic are an even more dominant force than a Man City would be in 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 uh, in England, uh, so that translates very well. The the big question with Ange has been, and continue to be, even if he's uh, stayed for next season, was how that scales given Celtic's resources in the Champions League. Um, and I think that's what's going to be fascinating at at Tottenham is, you know, you you guys are I think what maybe seventh in resources, sixth or seventh in in the English Premier League and, and, and as a card carrying uh, spreadsheet shagger, um, <laughs> you know, I, and I've, I, I've even uh, taken some of my background in my professional life and, you know, being a, an American who grew up uh, doing analytics and baseball, um, create kind of my own attribution model and, and done some statistical analysis and that kind of stuff. And, you know, wage bills are paramount. Um, and then it's recruitment, like how good are your players? And, and I think that, the, the quality of the, the coach and the manager is important, 
but he's got to have the raw materials. Uh, and, you know, I think that's going to be the big question is, and this is some of the parallels between uh, Celtic and, and uh, Spurs is kind of a, uh, let's call it a domineering, wealthy uh, uh, patriarch owner um, whose uh, analytical framework of the game may not be as modern and progressive as uh, a, a support <laughs> supporters uh, would would maybe like. And the question is, who's going to make those decisions on recruitment and and spend the resources that are made available? Um, and that's the positive advantage is he's not a Mourinho, he's not going to sit there and piss and moan about not getting enough transfer budget. Good, because we've had too much of that in the last three years. Well, that's exactly right. And and that, so that's the good part. He's just going to get on with it. He's he's going to try and optimize what the resources he has at his disposal, whatever they may be, and then build the squad in in the image of what he needs to play the style he's going to play. And he's going to play that style. That That's the Bielsa part, right? He's He's not a... Uh, hugely flexible uh, manager when it comes to style of play. Now, tactics, yes, he'll tweak things and you know on, around the edges, but he's he's going to play a very specific style. Um, so that's the good news. The, the bad news is, and I'm a little bit of an outlier within the Celtic community, probably is I, I don't think recruitment was that good at Celtic for under Ange. It was okay, um, but that was more a comparison versus what had been happening at Celtic. <laughs> so a a basic level of coherence. Because uh, Celtics recruitment prior to that had been really incoherent at times, um, meaning that they didn't really recruit relative to how the manager was going to play all that well. That. Uh, so they got some yep. they got some talent in, but it didn't necessarily make sense relative to how the manager would play. Um, and you know, we 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 signed Shane Duffy to be a high line playing center back to put that in perspective, <laughs> a, a ball playing center back. So that that's probably the you know the perfect example of that in the biggest season in modern Celtic history going for 10 in a row. Um, so Ange's recruitment looked coherent relative to completely incoherent. And um, so I, I, I don't, you know, you guys obviously know, I don't know what's going on relative to what Munn and who's going to be the director of football or who's head of recruitment and that kind of stuff. Um, I think ultimately that'll be the key. If you, if you get a decent level of raw material for Ange, he's going to do a very good job. Um, so that that's the optimistic part. He, he doesn't need an Einstein in recruitment. I think if if you just have good recruitment, um, you know, I, I think competing for uh, a Champions League spot would not be unreasonable, even in his first season. And I that this is where I, I would argue the fact that you haven't qualified for Europe is a positive um, for a first season Ange uh, uh, kind of transition because. He, he's the reputation he has is kind of twice a day intense training sessions, um, which has had some issues with injuries. Okay. So uh, do we. <laughs> right. Well, right. So he's kind of a throwback in that way. He's old okay. school in that, that way. And he plays a very demanding physical style of play as well. So playing mostly once a week um, will probably help with the, the, the transition period. Um, so yeah, I, the the fact that Harry, you know, you guys, I don't know what I just read what I read on Twitter, but um, if Harry Kane goes and there's a decent transfer kitty for him, uh, and he can kind of craft the squad uh, more towards the way he's going to want to play, then actually I'd see that as a as, as a positive. No, I think James has been great to talk to you. I think there are certainly more positives and negatives. Uh, you know, hopefully Celtic can find a manager and they can keep boxing on. James, uh, thanks again. Just a shout out uh, to your pod and where people people can find you, listen to you, read all about you. 
Uh, yeah, so the podcast is the huddle breakdown. So we, we look at things through uh, an analytics perspective. Uh, we cover Celtic uh, on the beat, so to speak, all, all, all games, all things Celtic. Um, and then I'm, I'm at Juco James on Twitter. I don't post there as much. There wasn't, you know, as, as an analyst type, uh, when things are, um, you know, it's like constructive criticism, critical thinking. Um, and to put this into perspective, in December of uh, 2021, I basically stopped posting regularly on my Twitter account because, you know, my, my analysis suggested that things were in such good shape under Andrew. <laughs> it wouldn't be all... Yeah. So it, it was, you know, I, I used to do a thread after every game called the good, the bad and the ugly. And I and I said, you know, basically it's good, better and best is kind of blamed. We'll take that. Uh, we will absolutely yeah. take that. Getting me excited. excited. Listen, Jane, really, really good to talk to you uh, and good luck for the season. And maybe next season when we're in the Champions League, we'll talk to you again. Thanks, guys. Best of luck with Ange. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. More really interesting thoughts. Different side to what Dan Garb gave us. More of how Celtic are going to feel this loss. And it really does feel like they've lost part of them. I think one of the things that, that Jane's picked up on there was they feel that way because they felt a real connection with him and and every club will claim that you know they have a certain community a certain mentality about them and they felt as though he was one of them where i think postagor clue will will fit in to the tottenham mentality and history is in you know Alderias Fakere, right? Uh, is to dare is to do. D- that 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 is that <laughs> is very much the, the basis of of how he plays. To dare is to do. Mm. He will fit into us by you know the history of playing the Tottenham we way. We talked the, about this. You mentioned the, this uh, three pods ago. Was all this stuff they big up before the game? The, the Blanche Flower quotes yeah. and, and all of this. He'll know, get. He'll buy into that. Uh, all of that. There, there is a way of playing at Tottenham that we respond to and 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 defines Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Arsene Wenger came to Arsenal and transformed Arsenal from boring, boring Arsenal. But yeah. they were traditionally, that is what they were, that sluggy, horrible team to watch. 1-0 one to, one to the boring Arsenal. We were never that. We were never that. We were, we were the great entertainers. Yeah. And that is what we should be. And that is what Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is. And that is what Mourinho and Conte robbed us of. He robbed us of our soul. So what I'm excited about by what James said there is that they feel this loss deeply because they felt that he understood the club well if he comes here and understands what this club is and understands the history of this club then I think we will really connect with him and the team Jake the one that we've talked a lot and we've read a lot and seen a lot all positive for me the negative people talk about him and James said it is a sort of Bielsa Pep hybrid I worry defensively, you bring in this style of 114 goals in the Scottish Premiership and a few people, James again said, oh, he doesn't change his tactics. You're gonna, this is the Premier League. It's all great winning the Scottish Premiership, the J-League. I respect all of that. But you're going to have to... It might be times where he has to change it. Look how we beat Man City. We beat Man City 1-0 at home every year because of the way we play. If he's going to go, no, I'm not playing like that anymore, do you worry a little bit that he's never changed the way he plays and he might actually have to. As in, like, can't wait to get you back to the Gabba, that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, No, that's a cricket reference for anyone. Um, You know what? I want to know what are Tottenham fans going to say if we scored 100 goals this season and finished seventh? Yeah, it's an interesting point. And this is the point that a lot of Tottenham fans... uh, Listen, I'm not going to defend us finishing eighth and I'm not going to defend how things 
ended under Conte. But up until a certain point in the season, we were, well, when he left, we were fourth. And I know people were saying that it was, you know, it, it was out of position and all this kind of thing. But we was, I'm still going to, I'm going to die but on it. Why weren't you bored shitless? Yes, yes. Don't get me wrong. But I personally, listen, I'm, 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 as I said, I'm all aboard the, the Postacoglu train. Sounds like he plays great football. But, but I won't be much happier, personally, if we score loads of goals, but don't win. And I think a lot of our fans, some of the narrative I've been hearing from Tottenham fans this season is, you know, we j I just want to see good football. And they're not, they're actually kind of forgetting about the fact, they're not saying I want to see winning football, they're saying I want to see good football. I've always been of the view where I would rather win ugly than lose th gracefully. But that's just me. I think I've changed my mind on that. I think in the last three years, I'm like, okay, let's win ugly. But we didn't. So sod it. Let's just go back to playing good football and we'll see what Fine. happens. Fine. And I'm, and I'm with that. Maybe it's time. We've kind of, we've done that little bit and let's, let's see what happens. It, but as I say, if we score 100 goals and we finish 7th or 8th, I'm not going to be very happy this time next season. On, on, on the point about the... the, the defensive aspect and and you know uh tactical inflexibility it, it is a concern of mine with postagoglu if i was to if i was to pick a a sort of a negative as it were it is almost like he he adopts and and, and the reason i feel this way is because pochettino subscribed to it as well and he subscribed to the view of i'm going to go toe to toe and you've got to and you've got to admire it but i'm going to go toe to toe with any team i play because i believe that my team can be better and and it's admirable but sometimes, you know, it could have been where, where, where Pochettino fell down. And also, coming to the Premier League, Postacocli might need to be a little bit more circumspect mm. than he has been at other times in his career. And if I was to have a slight concern, it is that I don't see him as an innovator of tactics, based upon what I've read. He developed his game and developed his tactics when he went to uh, the City Group with, in, in the Japanese League with a team which I'm not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> um, he developed his tactics there and was influenced by Pep. And it's great that he can look at other things and learn how to coach them. Yeah. But I don't trust that he's somebody that is going to innovate and put his own thing directly in place. That is a slight concern. All right. Talking of concerns, because most of this pod has been positive. Another story that's come out in the last couple of days. The studio dog is very concerned about something. Uh, is, that's no way to speak about, James. <laughs> is Harry Kane uh, to Real Madrid. When Postacoglu comes in, he's going to... He may well know what's happening. We don't know. But he's going to have to have a sit down with Harry Kane or he's going to get told Kane is staying or leaving. Who knows? But just playing devil's advocate, Nobody wants to see the best striker in world football, in my opinion, go. But is there a theory that if he does go now, we can actually start to rebuild? This whole team is built around Harry Kane. Is that healthy? When, he's score, when he scores the number of goals that he scores, yes. For and, me. and that's the answer I expected, but... Yeah, because yeah, I, I think that I I think it's crazy to suggest that we we could we should because also the other thing is you said what are we going to sell him for? Give me a, give me a number ninety a hundred million. Yeah. It's 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 a good player and a half at most. So the idea that oh we can use the money to rebuild in this day and age in if they got the bail money right you could have rebuilt in you know ten fifteen years ago ninety million could buy you a couple two or three good players. It gets you one and a half, you know, you need to spend 60 million to get somebody who's real top quality, I think. Gary? 
Do you agree with that? Or is there any sense that oh, we're going to have to move on at some point? We've pressed the great reset button probably with Postacoglu. Do we press it even harder now by saying, you know what, let's rebuild fully? I'm going to go back to the four-year contract that, that he's got because it's important because this isn't, this isn't an appointment just about the here and now. This is an appointment to set the bedrock of how Tottenham are going to play over the next 10 years as well as transition us through a really difficult period where I can imagine that by the end of those four years, there is a very strong chance that Kane won't be with us. There is a, in all likelihood, Son won't be with us either. So it goes bigger than Kane or Son. And when you think about it in those terms, you have to sort of throw the question really to, to, to Ange as to what does he want to do? And does Kane fit the pressing style that he wants to play, that aggressive, really aggressive pressing style that he wants to play. Ultimately, if we sold Harry Kane now for a good sum of money to Real Madrid, and that's the only club I could accept selling him to, not because it's Real Madrid, but just because he's not in the Premier League anymore. Yeah, um, I think we all agree that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if we sold him now and reinvested the money to build a team in Postacoglu's image, then you've got to get on with it. Um but, but when it comes through all of this, he this guy is here to oversee uh, you know, a, a painful transformation that will see us lose two club greats over the next few years. It's inevitable, whether it's now, whether it's in a couple of years. So really, it's a question of, do we, d- does, does Ange see that he wants to keep Kane for the next two or three years to achieve... It depends what he, what, what he sees in his head as to what... He, you know, is it, does he think that with Kane there he can win the Premier League? If he does, keep him. Mm. If he thinks that even with Kane there he still couldn't win the Premier League in the next two or three years, then then, then let's uh, sell him and rebuild. Difficult for that know. difficult first decision, though, isn't it? To come in and go, yeah, I'm the guy that's going to sell Harry Kane. But we have to put our stock in him. Unfortunately, no player is bigger than the club. That, that's well, all, that's that's always been true. That's the, that that's the always, nub of the question, really. That, that, that's that's always been true. I I almost feel as though the appointments of Conte and Mourinho, which were so anti-Tottenham, but winners now supposedly were made for Harry Kane and to keep Harry Kane. And this isn't a criticism of Harry Kane in any way, by the way. It's 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 just I wonder if at some point, and I don't advocate for selling him either, but I do wonder if at some point the pains that we are feeling now through the managers that we've had are the consequence of trying to show Harry Kane that we're a big club, show him that we can win. And and we've changed everything in order to to try and, and, and appease Harry Kane. How much truth there is in that, I don't know, but it does feel that there could be some. Um, and I think now we, we've just got to do what the manager wants. And, and if the manager says, look, you know, it's better now to get in another striker that's going to be with me for the next four years, then do that and reinvest the money. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is that, firstly, I don't think it'll be his... Ch- I'm, I, d- I just can't see it being his choice. Probably. I think that's going to be a, a, a Levy decision, wh- whether he wants to money for him, whether he is happy for him to go for free, that kind of comes into it. And then where he is going to sell him to, because I think that also is a consideration for Levy. He probably doesn't want to send him to a to another Premier League club. The other thing is, I don't want to speak for our new manager, but when when we say that he might see the club going forward, uh, you know, without Harry Kane, it's not quite the Ronaldo situation where a Ten Hag comes in and goes, actually, doesn't suit my suit my style at all. I mean, Kane is still, he's not just scoring. He didn't get as many assists this year as he did previ- uh, last year. But he can play in a number of different positions in your team. 
with Ronaldo, for example, who's the other was the other kind of classic, like amazing player that people were saying that actually United would be better off without. He, you have to stick him as a number nine, basically to score to score your goals, and that was it. Kane, you can have him dropping deep. You could have someone going beyond him. hundred. I think if you're a manager coming into a club that you're looking, you know, ultimately there's going to be naysayers about. Uh, about Postacoglu and he's as 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 Dan said he's constantly having to prove himself and no doubt this job at Tottenham is just going to be another one where he is going to have to try and prove himself who would want to take undertake that task without Harry Kane I, at the top I, of the attack I, I agree and I, and I can't see that, that that he will want to sell Harry Kane and I imagine that Harry Kane will be with us at the start of the new season my only point is that you have to throw it to Postacoglu say you're here for the next four years mate what do you want to do from a personal point of view if we were going to sell a big star this summer, for me, I would take them. We haven't sold players at the right time in the past yeah. and they've devalued. For me right now, I would actually sell Son. Genuinely, I would. Um, because I think what... Listen, I could be sat here eating my words this time next year uh, as he absolutely flies under post Is it too basic to say that he's got a great relationship with Asian players, the Asian market, Son can attract the players in? It's not the, that's not the way to build a team, but I don't see Son as someone that Pochettino. I see Son as somebody that is very much more replaceable this summer. Yeah, I agree. And we can strengthen the team mm. than losing Harry Kane and believing we could move forward. So if we needed to sell a player to, to, to bring in big money, he would be the one. The question about the Asian market and so on um, is is a good one, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't think players from that from that area are going to come to Tottenham because of Son or, or whatever. They know Postecoglou, they know his, they know his reputation. They will come for him. Um, and look, just looking at it purely on the pitch, purely on the pitch. If we were to lose a big star right now, I would actually advocate for selling Son this summer. And that, that, that might not sit well with a lot of people. But if we could get 50, 60 million for Son this summer, I would rip your arm off and say, go and take it and, and build around that. Interesting. Look, I think we're all on the Kane stay train, obviously. No one wants him to go. But I just thought it was an interesting one that, I don't know, maybe it's time to move on. But Gary sold him. <laughs> no, no, no. I want him to stay. Let's be clear. I want him to stay. <laughs> okay. But I'm saying it's, it's up to the man in charge. And I know you're very much on the Ange train, helicopter, bus, everything, Limo, scooter. scooter. <laughs> Gary, on the Ange train. There's no perfect appointment, but this feels good. And I, and I can imagine that next season I'm going to go to, to the stadium feeling a lot more positive, looking forward to games, enjoying watching us play and believing that we're actually building something to last. Gentlemen, thank you once again for another great show, this time with a manager to talk about. So. Wait, wait. Uh, really exciting look we're all off to have a barbecue uh, sink some tinnies and do other Australian stuff uh, play some cricket uh, we will be back next week and that is Spurs <laughs>